the fear of learning to ride a bike. You've seen others do it, and you know you want to do the same. But the training wheels are safe. You know they're going to protect you from your fears. But there's this pull from within, a desire to step out by faith and remove those training wheels. Knowing that those very training wheels are barriers to your ultimate desire. Will you trust your father who says, you can do this. I'm right beside you. You have nothing to fear. You remove the training wheels, your source of comfort and safety. You place your life into the hands of the Father. And there's still what, what feels to be a tug of war between faith and safety. But then you decide to go all in, to by faith believe that what the Father says is true, so that you can ride freely into the life Christ has called you into. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and we're going to be looking at this the next three weeks uh, as this series culminates on the 29th, and then we're going to be back into our normal rhythm. When I say normal rhythm, uh, we're going to be going into a book of the Bible, going verse by verse uh, after that. But in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, uh, this is a very, very special and significant section uh, of Scripture, and it really connects uh, with with us today. And what is happening here is, is Paul is, is specifically giving uh, instructions to the Corinthian church, these Corinthians, about a particular collection or what we would call maybe a generosity initiative. And he's, and he's bringing this to the forefront to them uh, on behalf of the saints in Jerusalem. They're trying to raise funds uh, for these saints in Jerusalem that are suffering. And this section of scripture, uh, it, it also provides the richest, most detailed model of Christian giving in the New Testament. And so it, it, it's an it's a incredible thing uh, for us to look at. And, and, and obviously, when we go into seasons like we're in right now, uh, the question that I know keeps me up at night is, God, uh, is what we're doing aligning with your word? Because the minute it stops, that's when all kinds of interesting things happen. And so we continually go before Scripture and go, okay, God, what, what, what do we learn from this? What are you teaching us? And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll start with verses 1 and 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 today. But in verses 1 and 2, it starts off with this. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Okay, so, so Paul is, is wanting the believers here in Corinth to know the way in which the grace of God has manifested itself among the Christians in the churches of Macedonia. He says, listen, church at Corinth, you have to hear how I am seeing the grace of God be manifested through these churches 
in Macedonia through their generosity. He said, and, and Macedonia was the Northern uh, Roman province of Greece. And the churches he's referencing here are Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, churches that uh, if you're familiar with your New Testament, you're reading about them quite often. Um, but the particular way in which these Macedonians showed that they'd received the grace of God was by their generosity. And what's interesting here is Paul didn't just like commend these churches on this noble work and inspiring work that they're doing, but he instead gives the credit to God for what God was doing through these churches. And so Paul's telling uh, the church here at Corinth, he says, I'm seeing the grace of God at work through the responses of these churches. What's happening through their generosity, I can only explain as a movement of the grace of God. You have to listen to what is happening through them. You guys, uh, I just want to pause for a second. Don't we want that to be the story of our lives? Like, don't we? Don't we want that to be the story? Not only individually, like, uh, man, do I pray that, 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 that people would be able to observe and, and people that know me go, man, that is a movement of the grace of God through the way, uh, Steve is, is, is generous with his time, his talent and treasure with his life. And, and I, and I pray the same thing, like for our church, like, uh, when we, when we think about what we want God to do, uh, we don't want God to do like this, this movement, uh, that, that comes and goes. No, we want to see God uh, write a story that only he can tell. And we want him to only be able to, we want others to only be able to explain it as the grace of God in action. We want them to be able to say like, uh, I don't know why Ecclesi is doing that. I don't know what's going on, but that has to be the grace of God. It just has to be. And Paul of all people, right? Paul, who has a pretty solid testimony, pretty committed. He himself is blown away by what's happening. That alone should tell you and I, the casual readers here, that something different is happening. And, 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 and I just, I have to ask, have, has there been a point in time when you've experienced the grace of God through someone else's generosity in your own life? Is there a point in time when, when something happened, somebody did something for you, or maybe they gifted you something and, and it, and honestly, it just broke you. You were so overwhelmed, uh, because what they did, how they blessed you, they could never have known your need. They could have never have known the impact that that could have because they don't know your story. And, and so, uh, you, you were just so humbled and blown away by how God moved and worked through that person to bless you or to bless your family. I, I, I was just thinking about the moments where God has done that in my own life where, where he just, he just revealed like I'm at work and, and watch what I do through these people. Uh, I'll never forget, uh, Lindsay and I were planting a church, uh, in San Diego and long time ago and, uh, we were, as we were planting it, uh, I don't know how long we were into the process, but it was one of those seasons of our lives that was just absolutely crazy, uh, where I was doing everything I could, uh, to like get this church just like thriving and growing. Uh, I, I was out like every night and then she was working as well. And we were trying to make all of this work. Uh, and our oldest was like really small. And, and you know, when they're small, all they are is what? Needy. And, 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 and so it's, it's like all of that, which I hear they don't get needy again until high school. But anyway, uh, I'm just kidding, but kind of. And so 
anyway, we, uh, we're in that season and I'll never forget. I mean, we were just like, just so many evenings, just like looking at each other, looking at each other, just going, man, we just got to keep going. We can do this. Just keep hanging on. And, uh, and just no time for each other. It felt like, and I'll never forget. We get this letter and we open the letter and it was from this really large church, uh, in the area. And, and I had known them through some, uh, just other interactions, but anyway, we opened this card and, and on the card, it's written from their leadership team. And in the card was a check. And what their leaders wrote was, we know how hard it must be. And we know how hard it is to be doing what you're doing. And we're thankful for you. We're praying for you. Here's some money. Get away with your wife. You're not allowed to use it on the church. And it was just like, I mean, like, I think we just like broke down. We just like broke down. They had no idea. Like, and... And it was just one of those moments where we were blown away at how God like moved in some people who were just praying for us. We didn't even know they were praying for us. I mean, churches are weird towards each other, honestly. I mean, it's weird. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing, you know, like competition and all that. And uh, which is nice. I'm not from here. So when you guys bring up like the stuff going on, I'm like, I don't know them. So that's okay. But uh, I, I was blown away by that. And, and, and we were just like, man, God, you see us. You see what we're going through. You're going to take care of us. You've got, like all of this, uh, it's in accordance with your will and you're not going to let us go. It was just a moment where God just reminded us of his grace and how he sees us. And I, I, I think of these Christians here that Paul is, is literally singling out. He's like showcasing their generosity and their faith. And these Christians uh, that, he's, that he's talking about here, it, they hadn't simply gone through affliction. They were in, in just a challenging season of life. It says they'd experienced a severe test of affliction. That's how it describes them. They were in extreme poverty, it says, which, which means rock bottom destitution. I mean, the word describes a beggar who has absolutely nothing and has no hope of getting anything. That's the people that, that, that rallied together. These are the Christians that he is highlighting. Now, if you and I are in a position similar to theirs, and maybe our church is in a position similar to theirs, what would we probably do when we hear about this? We would uh, all, we would save, we would hold on to what we have, right? I mean, that's the natural tendency when you don't have a lot is how can I save what I do have? But their circumstances, as severe and heartbreaking as it was, their circumstances did not hinder them from giving. In fact, it says they gave joyfully. They gave joyfully and generously. Their Christian joy was so overflowing that when the need of the saints in Jerusalem, when they found out there's, there's this collection happening, this, this initiative, uh, they, they reversed all uh, ordinary behavior that, that you and I and so many others would have gone into. And they decide instead that they are going to give in this most generous manner. Uh, in, in, in spite of the severe affliction uh, that they were in, uh, poverty, uh, economy, and absolute terrain, 
train wreck, losing their jobs for uh, the faith, all of these things. And, and yet it, it, it didn't matter. And, and I just go, man, if I'm in their shoes, if that's what's going on in my family, and I hear about this awesome movement, this initiative that God wants to do, you know what I find myself doing? Is I'm probably praying, I'm gonna pray, God, but what am I praying for? I'm praying, God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of those that are wealthy and use those people, God, move in their hearts like never before, that they would give to this. God, you own it all. I pray that you would touch their hearts, their lives for what they need to do. And ultimately what I'm doing yeah, I'm praying, but I'm really disconnecting myself from just what maybe God might want to do in and through me, right? And, and I think that's probably how most Christians in similar situations respond. And Paul knew that. And yet he says they're, they're able to do what only the spirit of God can do, which is they were able to combine affliction with joy. They were able to combine affliction with joy. You guys like those two don't work. They don't align in our culture, do they? And yet all throughout scripture, uh, God's word, it just like turns uh, everything that we think we should do and how we should, it like turns it upside down. And it says, no, these things that are very different and different emotions that you think you've experienced, uh, when you're being led by me, uh, when the spirit is at work and you respond to me, you actually find that I can bring affliction and joy together in a way that you could never experience joy if it was absent of affliction. To the point where you've got sections of scripture that you go, well, that's not real. Paul is singing in prison. I don't understand that. Turn the page. That, that Christ could literally go to the cross. It says, for the joy that was set before him, that's not what I read. Come on. And yet that is, uh, that's the difference. That's how Christianity, you guys, when, when we give our hearts and lives to Jesus and we daily walk in light of the grace of God, and that's a continual reminder on my life, even in uh, circumstances that I would say, I am being afflicted. This is awful. I don't know how we're going to make it. We can't do it. It's in those moments we actually experience the joy of the Lord as our strength. And Paul says, that's what I'm seeing. He says, so, so they've combined that. And then he says, and then they've also done something else. They have combined poverty with generosity. They've combined poverty with generosity. And, 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 and the church of Corinth is like, how does that work? Well, Paul's like, I got to tell you. I have to tell you because I'm not seeing this everywhere. This is incredible. This is a movement of the grace of God in their life, that they're able to take poverty and generosity. And what we see is in spite of their extremely difficult circumstances, these churches, their joy rose above their pain because of their devotion to the Lord and the causes of his kingdom. See, when, when, when you've experienced and are walking in the grace of God daily. You guys, when you're, when you're walking in that, your circumstances 
are no longer, it's twofold, they're no longer an excuse for me not giving and, and being obedient to what the Lord's asking me to. Uh, so in other words, even though I, I may go, man, I, I don't know how this is going to happen. And, and this situation is a challenge. And I don't know, I, we can't do anything here. Like it's, it's me deciding that it's never been about my circumstances. It's been about my relationship with Jesus. What's he calling me to do? And so my circumstances don't hold me back. The other thing that also happens, because remember it's double-sided here, is our circumstances are also no longer the driver for being generous. In other words, uh, you know, often I hear it said, well, this is going to happen. And when this happens for me, then I'm going to like, oh, you're going to be amazed at how much I give. I'm like, who? I mean, people were like texting me about the Powerball. They're like, hey, I'm just telling you right now, church done, bought. You just just wait, you know? And, and I'm like, sweet, you know? And you're going to win a billion dollars and give us four. Awesome. Like, I mean, uh, but... <laughs> I, or like, I, I don't know how many people, hey, I'm headed to Vegas. We'll see what God wants to do. I'm going to, you know, totally like, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, um, but it, it, it's this mindset of not only do our circumstances, we use them as a way to hold us back, but we also use our circumstances and go, if I have favorable circumstances, which I define, then, then I'll, I'll move forward with what he has for me, Right. And so, so often our, our circumstances are the thing that, that's leading our responses. And, 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 and literally Paul is saying like, you need to reshuffle the deck. That's never been the thing. It's never been like your circumstances should never be the thing that, that holds you back. Your circumstances also should never be your driver. Like, like ever, like, no, like if you've been blessed, fantastic, uh, great, you know, but ultimately that shouldn't be your driver. Your driver should be the Lord and just obedience to what he calls you to do. That's it. And, and so this church was operating in uh, that. And so when we're walking as they were in the grace of the Lord uh, and grace, you guys, grace always means giving in spite of my circumstances, but Paul highlights them what made their giving so special in verses three through five. This is what he says. He says, for they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Okay, so, so what Paul does here is he says, listen, I want to share with you all what was so special about this movement of grace as to how they gave and so he breaks it down. He says, listen, they gave according to their means. They gave according to what they had. But then he goes, something crazy happened. They gave above and beyond that. He says they gave beyond their means. Now, what does that mean? It means that their giving was sacrificial. They gave in a way that it cost them something. You guys, I'm going to tell you right now, and not convenient. I'm just going to put that out there. When God calls us into, and I don't even care what it is, whatever it may be, if he is in it and he's calling you to walk in it, to serve in it, to give to it, whatever it may be, if it's got his fingerprints on it and he's leading it, there is going to be a self-sacrificial component to it. 
There just will be. There, there just will be. I mean, the narrative all throughout scripture is a call to follow Jesus. It's in the old, looking to the rescuer, looking to the one, the Messiah that would come and save us from our sins. And then he shows up and Jesus, like, like, like uh, the exact opposite of what they were anticipating, says, no, 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 I've actually come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so he turns upside down this whole view of, 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 of leadership and a savior king and all of this. And, 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 and what he gives us is this picture uh, that honestly, it is a little uncomfortable because what he's calling me to do, if, if, if he's calling me to love someone the way he's, he's, he loves, it's going to be sacrificial. He's calling me to serve or give in any way that's of him. It is going to cost me something. It's going to be sacrificial because that's how uh, it works. In, in Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 41 through 44, Jesus is with his disciples and they're hanging out. And it says this, it says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people uh, put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus was never impressed by the amount. And remember, that was kind of the, the whole theme of the Pharisees. We're going to impress you by all of these outward acts. And, and, and Jesus says, get over here, guys. Get over here. I got to tell you something. I got to highlight this, just as Paul is highlighting these churches. He says, this widow who has nothing, she just gave more than any of these wealthy individuals. She gave out of what she didn't have. She gave something that costs her everything. And guys, that's the theme over and over and over again. When we, when we look at scripture, we see in 2 Samuel 24, 24, David literally says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. I won't even do it. We, we, we see over and over again, people worshiping Jesus. And we see people like, like in, in Mark 13, 14, when, uh, when he's sitting at the table, reclining at the table, it says, and the lady comes up with this expensive perfume. She just breaks it, starts dumping it, right? Like, and all his disciples are like, oh my goodness, that costs so much money. And, but what we see is, is that is, that's the response to the Lord's working in our lives. It, 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 it's, it's where I don't even want to give anymore out of just convenience. I want to give in a way that communicates that you are my first, you are my best, and, and it is going to cost me. And you guys, when you look at the relationships in your life and the love that you felt from other people, I guarantee you the ones that have stood out in your mind are the people that loved you in a sacrificial way. Those are the moments I look at my marriage and, and those are the moments that I stand on and I look back and I go, man, she loves me. It's not when like she comes home and, and has my favorite cake for my birthday and it's like, happy birthday. I'm like, thanks. Yeah, I love that. It's great. I love those nothing bunk cakes. Um, I'm all into that. But 
I'll never forget when we flew up here, uh, and and we knew nobody. I knew one person, uh, Wes, who's planted the church. That's all. That's all we knew. And I'll never forget. I flew up here to to look at what was going on with the church and all that. And we're praying, God, are you leading us here? And if if the trip was going well, I was then going to call her, and then she was going to fly up later. And I'll I'll never forget that she flies in by herself with our. Uh, I don't know if we had one or two at the time, but. I, I distinctly remember one, and and it's February, and, and you guys, I mean, let's be honest. February here is such a gift, and 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 we came from and we came from San Diego, which like does not know like if it rains, we think Jesus is coming back, and so uh, so she flies in. And I'll just never forget the, the look on her face as, you know, I mean, some of you mothers that have flown by yourself uh, with young kids, I mean, God bless you. I mean, when I see you on an airplane, I immediately pray just for you. And, and, and I'll never forget as she's walking towards me and I'm there to pick her up and it's just blowing rain. And, and I just was like, man, I love you so much. Like to think that you're like going to the Lord in the midst of, of just this, like, because, because of just God's doing something here and, and how much this could cost and be sacrificial. And I'll just never forget the look on her face. But those are the moments, you guys, when if you're married, that those are the moments that stand out. It's when your spouse sacrificed in such a way that you go, my goodness. They love me. And, and, and maybe it's a friendship or, or, or another area or, or your family. And, and someone just sacrificed you in a way that was just undeniable. You guys, those are the moments, those are the glimpses when we get a view of the heart of God. And it always should lead us back to the ultimate sacrifice that was done on your behalf, which is Jesus going to the cross for you. That is the picture. Any type of love that we give, we're ultimately uh, a poor imitation of the perfect love. And, and so these churches are modeling this. And ultimately, guys, when we think about what God was doing in and through them, and when we pray about God, what do you wanna do in and through me? And if it has this sacrificial component to it, which it will, what is the, the reason that they were able to move forward like they did? And what's the reason I'm not? Because that's what I do when I look at this. I don't disconnect it from me. I wish I could, but I have to go, what's the difference? And you guys, ultimately, what I see is this all comes back to once again, the foundation of faith, which is if I'm unwilling to move forward when he calls me into his plan, into his agenda, it, and, and, and I go, I can't do it. It means that there is a foundation of faith issue because the foundation of faith is what? It's trust. And those churches, those people, they were able to give the way they gave because ultimately it revealed that they had a trust in the plan of the Lord Jesus Christ for their lives. And that was enough. Uh, you guys, that's the calling. Like in Philippians 4.19, uh, Paul says from a prison, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
He'll supply it all. He knows you. He sees you. He, he, he holds everything together. Uh, in Matthew chapter six, as Jesus is, is talking about how he's going to take care of you. You need to follow me. You need to uh, release these fears, these anxieties. He says in Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. I will handle everything else. I've got it. And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and what he will make straight your paths. He's got it. So whatever he calls me into, whatever uh, he says, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to trust me in this. I want you to love that person. I want you to serve that person, that situation, that calling. I want you to give towards that and be moved into that. You guys, ultimately, if, if, if I'm holding back and I'm saying, I don't know, God, all that, it, it's revealing that there is a foundation problem in my faith. I don't completely trust him. These people, Paul is talking about, they completely and wholly trusted the Lord. And then what do we see? Lastly, he says, they gave of their own accord. You guys, they gave voluntarily. Paul is like, I, I got to tell you this, you guys. Like, I, I didn't like show up and be like, hey, where's your heart at? What's going? Like, no. Uh, in fact, I don't want you to give out a compulsion, manipulation, or intimidation, which some of you in this room have experienced. Uh, where you've experienced the church is either trying to raise money or having, uh, you know, teachings similar. And all of a sudden you're like, man, you're trying to manipulate me uh, or you're trying to uh, scare me into giving to something, right? And, and first of all, if I ever do that, that is not of God, all right, <laughs> ever. And I pray that I never do that. But you guys, what was so special is they gave on their own accord. They gave voluntarily. In other words, they were enthusiastic. It's, it, you know, uh, you can actually give very generously and still be very unenthusiastic, can't you? Fine, right? But he says, no, they gave, uh, uh, they gave out of their own, uh, out of their own calling. They, they gave, they, they, they were moved by the spirit of God and they didn't need me prompting them. They didn't need me reminding them of, hey, this is going on. And, and he's telling this to the church at Corinth who he is reminding. He's like, hey, are you, are you hearing me? <laughs> they didn't need this. They didn't need any of this. They didn't, they didn't need me to remind them of the priority. They didn't need me to remind them of the work of God that is happening. In fact, what does he say next? He says, they actually begged me. So they weren't just like, oh, we better do this. Like, no, they begged Paul to be included with the sharing of the relief of the Jerusalem saints. They begged him. And perhaps Paul hesitated to accept their kindness, knowing how poor they were, right? Like, like listen, you're, I know, I know what you're going through. I know how poor you are. I know what your circumstances are. It's okay. But they wouldn't take no for an answer. They wanted to be allowed, they wanted to be allowed to give. Is that crazy? Every excuse to go, no, no, okay, we're gonna pray. We're gonna, all these things. And, they, and they're, they're like, Paul, don't you dare leave. 
We want to be a part of this. Let us be a part of this. God is calling us into this. Their giving was voluntary. It was driven by grace, not by pressure. They gave because they wanted to give because they themselves had experienced the grace and the love of God. And out of that, they could hear the voice of God leading them into go. I mean, 1 John 4.19 is really clear. We love because he first loved us. That's why we love. The response of the Macedonian churches was far more than Paul expected. He's amazed at the amount. And then Paul states to the church at Corinth, he stated their why. He says, this is what drove this incredible movement of grace, this incredible act of generosity. This was, this was their motivator. This was their why. What does he say? They first gave themselves to the Lord. He says, listen up church. It's not like all of a sudden Rome just like started handing out money and they were like, woo, let's go. Let's give now. He, he, he's like, literally, no, it, they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's what they did. That was the driver. That was the motivation. They said, God, you are our first and our best. And out of that relationship, as we fully commit our lives to you, out of that, we then ask, what do you want us to do? Because so that's what happened. You guys, that is the calling. Uh, Romans 12, one and two, right? I, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, right? He says, this is your worship. Like, like give yourself fully to the Lord. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The greatest gift that you can give the Lord is yourself. That's the greatest gift you can give the Lord. It's to give him your full self. And because they had did that, or they had done that first, Whatever came out of their churches, it flowed from that decision. Because once you say, Jesus, I, I give you my life, what's the next question? How do, you, how do you want to use me? What do you want me to do now? And that's why they were able to hear. That's why they were able to respond to the Lord's leading. See, when Paul says they gave themselves to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, he simply means that there was the complete committal of their lives to Christ. And then they willingly gave themselves to Paul in the sense that they wanted to help in the collection uh, for the saints in Jerusalem. Like they're saying to Paul, listen, we have given ourselves first and foremost to the Lord. And, and now we are willing because of that 
to give ourselves over to this initiative, to give ourselves uh, to, to your leadership, knowing that you are an apostle, you are an ambassador of the Lord. But you need to know that the reason we are where we're at, the reason that we're giving the way we're giving is because first and foremost, we gave ourselves to the Lord. And, and, and so guys, here, here's the calling. You're like, what is Stephen a call us to? Give yourself to the Lord. Like, that's it. Like, give yourself to the Lord first. Like, if you will give yourself to the Lord, and, and when I say give, I'm not saying like, oh, let's say this quick prayer and, and then I'm good. Like, no, I'm saying if you go before a perfect and holy God and you say, God, I understand what Jesus did on the cross for my sins. I understand that I couldn't pay that penalty. I understand that I can't be good enough. I understand that there's, there's no amount of me that can fix that. But Jesus did. By paying that penalty and then rising up from the dead, having victory over that very penalty. Because of that, God, for whatever reason, you're inviting me to surrender my life to you, entering into a relationship with you where I get to spend eternity with you and live for you daily. Because if you make that decision, everything changes. Everything changes. When that decision is made and daily lived out, and not just like, you know, going to work and be like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian or, or ooh, I'll pray over my meal. No, no, I'm talking about living out like that is a reality of your life. And you're reminded of that daily, you guys, guess what? God is gonna move how he needs to move in your life and you're gonna respond how you need to respond. So it's not gonna rest on me. It's not like my job is, is to honestly just point you to Jesus and to do my best to lead you there and to explain who he is through his word and, and, to, and for you to understand uh, that, <laughs> that you are loved. But, but I'm telling you right now, they first and foremost, they made the decision, we're gonna give ourselves to the Lord. And when you do that, you guys, it removes like this project because what it, what it says is uh, this project, whatever it may be, whatever the next one may be, uh, is a project and the Lord's moving in it. But you know what? I give first and foremost to the Lord. And so any way that he causes me to give or, or leads me into giving, it's ultimately about him because of him and for him. And so Paul, you just need to know that. We're giving, we're moving in this because of what the Lord has done uh, for uh, us. And you guys, that's why we kicked off this whole series with the preeminence of Christ. If he's my first and my best, he's gonna move me into whatever action he wants me to do. And, and you guys, they're telling this to Paul. They're like, this is our why. This is what's happened in our churches. This is why we wanna give. We're begging you to let us be a part of this because God, who we first said, you are our Lord and Savior, we, we give you all of who we are. He has asked that we be a part of this. So we, we want to. It's incredible. And so Paul, in response, in verse six, it says, accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, what is he saying here? See, Paul is so elated over the example of the Macedonians that he now wanted the Corinthians to imitate them. 
He's saying, look at them. Look at them. Look at the, at the grace of God at work in, in them. And, and so he's saying, let their heart for generosity, let, let it inspire you. Let it inspire you into doing the same. Uh, you guys, that's why these generosity initiatives, that's why it was a public thing and not this like private thing. Paul is highlighting it. He's making it public because he wants what God is doing in and through their lives to inspire the rest of the Christian community. He wants it to inspire them. He wants it to challenge them. He wants them uh, to engage uh, in it. You guys, oh my goodness, what a prayer for our church, right? What a prayer for your own life. I pray that my generosity inspires others. I pray that the generosity that comes out of this church, that it would inspire others. I pray that it would inspire not only Christians, but that it would inspire anybody that doesn't know God, that is far from God, that's been burnt by a church. We pray that it moves and inspires them into a further and deeper relationship with Jesus. And, and so why in the world do you, do you make it why in the world do you make it public? Uh, everything he tells you to do is going to be public, unfortunately. Go get baptized. Okay, I'll go home in my hot tub and, and like, like, no. Unless you're calling your neighbors. He's like, no, make it public. Acknowledge me before others, right? We will be, what? We, we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. He's like, make it public. <laughs> I, I want you to share what's going on because he goes, by you sharing what God is doing in and through your life, you are going to inspire and you're going to rally other Jesus followers who are on the fence right now, who, who are wondering, what would it actually look like if I went all in with him? And so Paul is, is saying, look, look. So we're talking about him even today. He says, look at what's going on. It can only be described as a movement of God's grace in and through their lives. And so he says, accordingly, in response to that, Titus is coming back to finish raising the funds from you, Church of Corinth. He says, you respond like that. Titus had gone and initiated it, but he hadn't finished. And so Paul says he's going to finish it. And so you guys, I want to just close our time with, with a verse that uh, really to me has been a, a verse that I've reflected on with kind of this challenge of, you know, of what am I really living for, you know? In 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You know what I love about that verse? I, I love that it challenges me to live no longer for myself. But you know what that verse also reminds me of? It's just so powerful. It reminds me of how loved I am. live for themselves, but for him, it says this, who for their sake died and was raised. I want, he's saying, I want you to live for me. No longer living for uh, yourself. Live for me. I, I love you so much. In fact, uh, Jesus went to the cross for you. He rose from the dead for you. Don't live for yourself. Please stay away from that. I know it's going to cost. I know it's sacrificial, but I'm telling you right now, if you let 
him write and tell the story, all of a sudden, there's gonna be moments in your life where, where, there's, where there's affliction and joy happening and you, you can't explain it. There's gonna be moments where you're gonna be like, man, I have nothing, and yet you're gonna be considered generous. And, and those are the markings that God is working in a way that, that is only him. And that's the story uh, that we want to enter into. And so you guys, when I think about this, I go, what in the world has, has impeded in my heart and my mind to where no longer he and he alone is the driver, uh, right? Like, like is, is there a reason? What, and what are they to where when, when he calls me to sacrificially do something, I hold back and I'm not like these churches. And ultimately, what I was thinking about is, is just this, this mentality where, you know, so often when we think of our heart and our mind, uh, the things that, that really move us, that drive us. And when we first enter into a relationship with Jesus, oftentimes it is a very emotional, powerful moment. But then slowly over time, we start to give over to either people, to circumstances, to goals, to desires, we give keys to our heart. And slowly what happens is we actually, you know, we start to lose track of who has the keys. And yet we're allowing all of these things to dictate my heart, my mind. What's guiding, leading me and directing me. And I think what this calling is for you and me, as we go into this time of worship and response, I think this is the challenge is identifying who has the keys. And then with your time with the Lord, get those keys back. Take the keys back and then change the lock. And then say, God, I put a whole new lock on. You and you alone have the key. I'm yours. You do that, you guys. The story that he could tell with your life, it will absolutely astound you. Amen? And he'll do the same with this church. Let me pray.